We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Stop Talk Radio, the world for people who think. Bradley. With me tonight is co-host Joe Quinn. Hi there. And we're joined once again by Pierre Lescaudon. Hello. And back by popular demand, <laughs> the one and only Jason Martin. Hey, buddy. So this week we're going to do another episode of All and Everything. So we're going to look back over the last couple of weeks and just try and catch up with some of the crazier stuff that's going on above, on the surface, and below. All around, it seems. Of course, what's going on right now over in the U.S. is the U.S. government has shut down. Now, when I first heard this was coming up, I thought, oh, that's great news. <laughs> exactly. that's, that's good news. I mean, what's everyone so upset about? I misheard it. I thought that I thought it said that they'd shut up. Exactly. So uh, then I was very disappointed that it was <gasps> shut down. Yeah, everyone was still like, oh, my God, oh, my God. I, I was, oh, great. And I initially, you know, put it on SOT and thought, okay, well, this is good news. And maybe we'll put it in there. Uh, marked down as, you know, uh, a, a, a bright lining, a bright, uh, a bright spark, a silver lining dark. in that cloud. Exactly, a silver lining in the cloud. It may need be a good news because there is a, a similar precedent that happened in Belgium a few years ago. For one year, because of uh, political struggles, no government could be elected because no coalition could uh, um, be settled. And so for one year, Belgium had no government. And retrospectively, when you check the, the figures, it was the best year for Belgium, GDP-wise, growth-wise, unemployment-wise. So it might be not such a bad thing. Well, yes and no. It's When they talk about a shutdown in the U.S., it's different. Belgium is, in this case, there was no, no government formed yeah. from successive elections because they couldn't get it together, because there, were, uh, there was no clear majority. There was no coalition that could be formed. It's a little different. Here you have uh, elected government running and functioning in the U.S. When they refer to a shutdown, it's a kind of an, it's an automatic thing that kicks in because of a series of laws that have long been in place, where if there's a budget shortfall, services immediately start to be shut down. It doesn't mean that the actual executive is no longer in charge or that new laws cannot be passed. So in this case, well, first of all, it's happened 17 times now in the U.S. The first time was 1976. The most recent was 95, 96. Yeah. So nearly 20 years ago. And in that case, it was kind of similar. There were services closed down for... A total of 21 days, spread over two periods, November 95, January 96. And it was kind of similar. People were temporarily laid off. Government workers were, were not paid. Services were closed down. Things got back on track because they agreed 
which we're seeing now, negotiations taking place to agree how to, let's say, work the budget, make the numbers fit. Well, which is prioritizing, basically. It's giving more importance to interest payments and reducing the amount given to other public services like transportation, hospitals. Well, at, and the, at the same time, you have to point out that when they say a government shutdown, what they mean is a government shutdown of all the services that people actually would use but not a shutdown of any of the services like, oh, the spy program. CIA, yeah. CIA is still getting paid, you know, all the spies, all the assassins. Congress. The TSA and all the congressmen are still getting their paychecks. It's the it's the little guy who's not getting yeah, anything. Yeah, public servants. Yes. The good news is that the Congress gym is still open. Yeah. Because the employees there are still oh, working. Really. But um, if you're relying on paychecks or... For example, it was a big one. 12 million people in the States, that's service members and their families, rely on subs- essentially subsidized food. Food stamps. Yeah. Even short of food stamps, this is just military personnel because they get their goods from special stores. What are they called in the U.S.? I don't know what they're called. I think they're exchanges, postal exchanges or something. They're kind of on-site, usually at military bases. On post. Yeah. Subsidized oh, yeah, food. Yeah, okay. And they're closed down. Suddenly for them, there's like a 30% increase in the cost of goods. Right. And all the paychecks for the soldiers are, are being delayed apparently as well. So, yes. yes. Delayed, although we're hearing that the Pentagon is not re- reassuring the, everyone that, don't worry, the soldiers will get paid. The special forces, you know, kill teams and, and death squads, they're going to get their paychecks. Well, we know they're still working because... A team of them were sent into Somalia recently. We'll get to that. That's because the CIA has their own budget. Yeah. Yeah, their own budget. Including the over, over and Well, over and above there. Over, yeah. The one that Congress approves. The state within the state. But um, well, previously you mentioned that this um, shutout process was due to some laws. And uh, I think it's interesting to Shut see. down. Shut down. Shut down, yeah. Okay. Um, it's interesting to know what mechanism... Is at play here? Is at work? If you check, actually, you see that the main rule is this boring cap law or rule. That is an internal rule. It's poli- politicians, congressmen, who vote a law that says, okay, beyond this level or that level, we cannot borrow anymore. Which is a big illusion, actually. When you see most countries that defaulted over the last decades and uh, got the harsh IMF treatment. It's not the government that says, okay, the debt is too high. It's the international bankers who, after having injected massive amounts of money and put artificially the country into debt, suddenly pull out the plug and default the country and force the country to cut down most of its public services. So right now the U.S. maintains the illusions that the government is in charge, define the borrowing cap, and since we are close to the borrowing cap, the borrowing capabilities are, are limited. Well, let's, let's build up to that. Let's break it down first. What we're hearing is that all these intense negotiations and debates and late-night sessions are about the Republicans stalling on extending the debt ceiling yeah. because they want to use this opportunity to block so-called Obamacare, which is the Something yeah. Prevention and Affordable Health Care Act, which is basically 
in theory, it's going to completely overhaul the U.S. healthcare system. By in practice, it exactly the same. it's not. It's exactly the same. It's more of the same. Obama's promise in 2008 was that he would basically bring the U.S. in, in line with other Western nations in having universal health care, like they do in the U.K., Australia, Canada, even but, France. Even France. But in order to win, he spent the last five years trying to win the Republicans over. And it, what they've ended up with is a completely watered down, totally convoluted law, extremely complex, that is just more of the same. In other words, yes, it will be universal. In fact, it will be compulsory. You have to join in. If you cannot afford it, sure, you'll get federal subsidies to make up for it, but you must sign up. And it in no way changes the fundamental basis, which is that private medical insurance companies will be the main beneficiaries from this. So this is not this is the opposite of where the U.S. should be going, or which is single payer healthcare, which is in other words, it's funded by the state, and maybe less communism. Exactly, yeah, this is it. You can't go there because that's socialism, right? right? No, it's not. It's called being in a civilized world. Yeah. It's solidarity. But maybe this Obamacare is one of the reasons, but not the only reason, because this whole story, to me at least, has a taste of a, a program of testing the water, knowing how citizens would react to a real default and real destruction of the few public services they benefit from. So once you, te- you test the water, and second point is also a, a way of desensitizing people, you know, the boiling frog, uh, frog um, analogy, where you start to make people used to having no public services, no help from the state, having to rely on, on themselves. And one important point is um, when you hear the, the word default, you might believe that, okay, the government is bankrupt, the state is bankrupt and cannot pay its debt anymore, so everything stopped the state stops spending money. But this is not true. It's not about cancelling or stopping. It's about reprioritizing. It means, like Greece a few years ago, those states that are labeled bankrupt keep on paying totally or at least partly their debt. So basically, it's a choice when such a crisis or apparent crisis is reached. It's a state where the, the country chooses to pay his debt or interest on his debt instead of paying the social benefits, the public services, the citizen benefit from. So in the end, what it is about is about taking the money that was going to poor citizens and putting it in the pockets of bankers. That's the ultimate uh, shift here. That is the ultimate result. But what you have to remember is that all countries at least in the West, are in debt to their eyeballs. True. So when it comes to one country coming under the focus, Greece, Ireland, other countries in Europe, now the US, yes, that means there must be other factors at play because everyone's in debt. Now, the US has been in debt since since the Federal Reserve was created. We discussed this before by the very definition of paying interest to a private central bank you are permanently not going to have enough money in the money supply to pay back both principal and interest. So it will accrue over time. We're now 100 years later, and that debt has steadily gone up. It's now 16.7 trillion. And 
how have they dealt with it? Well, they've just said, okay, we've hit the debt ceiling again. Let's just change the law and push it off down the line. This time, they'll do the same. I think they'll do the same, but it's getting close to the wire. This Thursday is the cutoff limit, after which the U.S. is officially in default, bankrupt. Well, uh, officially, yeah, that's interesting too. <laughs> To think a bit more about this notion of uh, official borrowing cap and uh, being officially in, uh, bankrupt. Because again, it's very subjective. As you said, and it's right, all countries have a lot of debt, which is interesting if you want to be in control of the countries, because since they all have huge debt, anytime you can pull out the plug and say, okay, the debt is too high, you're, in, you're bankrupt, which means basically we, creditors, are going to loot all your resources because you cannot pay your debt. But what I want to convey is that the way of putting out the plug or pushing the one country into the IMF treatment is highly subjective. It can happen anytime to any country. And uh, the proof is that when the island crisis or the Greece crisis or a few years ago, the Argentinian crisis occurred, those countries were not, were not the most indebted ones. They were far worse examples. No, the, the UK's public debt is far higher than yeah. Greece's, for example. <clears throat> of course. I mean, so you see how su the debt is a tool of enslavement, of control of the country and destruction of the few social rights, social benefits we still have, citizens of the world. Yeah, I mean, what, what maintains that system and allows them to quote-unquote pull the plug is actually all the surrounding countries continuing to play the IMF kind of game, this this money, this debt game. I mean, actually, they really don't have the ability to do anything. If, if America says you can't have it, theoretically they could say that, but they won't because, of course, the, the senators and all that, they're in the pocket. It, they're playing the game as, as basically they're on the team of the IMF. Their whole idea and plan is to loot the the American people and the the American nation. They're just – they're nation looters. They're like a – they're like yeah. a foraging party, you know, or, or an advanced invasion mm -hmm. squad into a government. The IMF is an agent of the U.S. government, so it, it's not like it's no, in danger of, you know, it, it, it's already in extreme debt. It cannot give itself a loan because the IMF, ultimately, the loans come from the same source. But what if the IMF is kind of like above and has has grown beyond the U.S. government? Well, it is. It's, it's, it's like it has. It's it's, 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 it's a, a world global. Bank. It's these are like now global rulers, you know. And now the, the U.S. government is just sort of like a, but, you know, I mean, just like a a fraud front for for their criminal organization, you know. I think the uh, uh, just one point about IMF. I think maybe you should not think about IMF in terms of. Uh, citizenship and country. Exactly. I think it's an yeah. organization that is an elite organization. <clears throat> the goal of this organization is to destroy people and to loot a maximum of resources. Yeah. It goes beyond borders. It destroys wow. any country, including the US. <clears throat> it uh, transcends uh, the geographic borders we know. Well, what's interesting is that this kind of stuff is as old as time. It's not even like an American thing. I mean, these people... And that type of you know, money lenders and 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 bankrupting nations has been going on for for a very very long time. Oh yeah, there's a 
there's a very old practice again and again artificial crises are manufactured and the elites who manufacture those crises take the benefit of, of the crisis and it's very ironic all this drama around the boring cap and the delays the the rules defining the delays that totally artificial and illusory because if the US state like all the states in the world had the right to issue create its own money you would not have problems like that but in for several well, centuries is, a country when a country didn't have enough money to fund its growth it was issuing creating more money maybe it was creating a bit of inflation but not thing not is, extra drama no one has to default on their loan like nobody has to like as in the system right now you don't have to they can just because and now it's just like you know numbers pretty much you know in out of thin air money basically money is basically numbers out of thin air for the most part it's debt you know it's just created it's it's on paper and now it's just in computers uh, nobody I, has to actually it, history has shown that eventually it cannot last i hear what you're saying you can you can keep doing it but it's a game you can you can keep pretending mm-hmm. they don't want to but eventually, the, the the fundamental, the trust that is required. I mean, the U.S. dollar is still the it's basically the world currency. It's it's the thing that is used to trade most essential things in. Once that trust is eroded, and that's no longer the case, it, it's game over. So it it cannot actually go on indefinitely. Although it can, as long as congressmen might like to the think they can. As long as people willingly play the game, it could. But they, it's but not, they don't. They don't, and they won't. People will lose "quote unquote" trust. But I mean, they could just forgive the debt. It really because it's fake money. It's play money. Just it really is. About it's play the, debt. To to clarify, maybe better this notion of debt in the U.S. Technically, we cannot say that the U.S. is paying interest in order interest relating to its debt. Because they've designed a system where to muddy the waters, if you, listener, is the U.S. state, you decide to issue money. No, you, you cannot decide that anymore. You've lost this right. So if I'm the Federal Reserve, I decide to issue money. I go to you, U.S. state, and ask you, okay, let's issue today, tomorrow, $1 billion. So you... Um, the U.S. state, you go to the minting, uh, mint department that will issue maybe $1 billion. Okay? So, now, this $1 billion is mine. It's property of the Federal Reserve. But the Federal Reserve won't lend directly to the U.S. state this $1 billion. It will buy U.S. bonds. Okay? So, I buy U.S. bonds from you. And in exchange, I give you $1 billion. And by buying those U.S. bonds from you, the U.S. state, I have you. You have to pay interest because there's interest for five, six percent annual on U.S. bonds. So that's the way you create the same enslavement, dependency, interest right. payment as when you issue a loan and create a debt, but to this uh, artificial uh, um, mechanism. So it's uh, and basically the all so that thing is not defaulting on the all. On everything you have to pay as a, as a state is only about the the debt, the interest so, payment. So I understand that mechanism <clears throat> as as working a bunch of people, but from what I've heard or what I've learned, basically, is that 
that's not an, an actual representation of what happens, right? Because the money that is created and loaned out is never actually really printed on a piece of paper. It's not like they actually go and print $1 billion, like 1 billion entries of $1, right? They just kind of say conceptually, we created a billion dollars and there's some bonds here and there, but no actual physical bond is printed and changed hands and stuff like that. So that it's, it's a game of make-believe. You know, it's that they pretend that they printed the money and they pretend that they bought and they just sort of skip the steps of actually printing out the bonds and changing hands and they just write a couple of numbers and said, oh yeah, by the way, on Tuesday we uh, bought this many bonds and gave you this much money and all right, cool. And it, it seems like that actually uh, somebody said, I think it was this Ellen Brown, that, that only a really small fraction of the money that is in the world, of the so-called wealth that has been created, actually has any kind of physical representation in the world. That's yeah. correct, 3%. That's correct. Monetary, 3% monetary mass is M1, yeah. M2, and M3. M1 and M2 is about so, so you uh, tangible money, but M3, 97% of the financial translation is... Uh, Numeric. It's only one figure on a computer screen. Right. So, but in the end, it's the Make same because a piece of paper or even a, a computer operation. In the end, it's the same. It has no intrinsic value. It just uh, exactly. So th that's that was kind of like what I've been saying here is that it's subject. It's, it's a game of make believe. <clears throat> you know, they pretend that they created wealth, and you pretend that you got loaned the wealth, and you also pretend that you did some sort of exchange of fake bonds, and. I mean, it's 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 a gigantic game at at such a high level. It's just a gigantic game of make believe. And when they pull the plug on a nation, you have to remember that that nation did not actually really default on a loan. It's a game of make believe. You know, it's like a bunch of kids out in the backyard playing make believe with bows and arrows, and one of them goes like this, doing, and and points it at the other guy and says, "I hit you," and the other guy says, "Ah, I fall down." And that's that's what they do when that happens because it's it's the fake money. It's a game of make believe. What you say is true. However, when they manage to default, quote unquote, a country, the properties, the resources that are seized are real properties. It's real assets. Exactly. You see how they shift in imaginary debt and imaginary money right. into the seizing or seizure yeah, of, of real assets and of your life. It's uh, dropping the minimum wage. It's making you work longer hours. And the only reason they can do this is because everybody's participating in the game and everybody enforces it because when the IMF guy comes into your nation, you just post up with some guns and you shoot them and they shoot you, right? I mean, when, it, when you bring it down to the lowest level, they come in to take your oil and you shoot them, right? I mean, that's the general idea. But that doesn't happen. When a country goes bankrupt, they pretty much roll over and take it because all the other countries are playing along, and other the countries say, you've got to roll over and take it too. Yeah. But at any moment, all of them could come together and say, you know what? We don't need the IMF anymore, and we're tired of the fake money, so you know what? Screw you. And the IMF guys are going to be like, ah, oh, shucks. The game is over. Oh, well, it's, it could it's happen. An it won't. It's an appealing solution. Ellen Brown describes it in a, in a book, Web of Debt, and she shows that the countries who dared going out this international banking system, stopping this dependency, this detrimental dependency, and created their own currency, publicly owned, publicly created, where became the object of uh, fierce financial attacks. Their currency was destroyed by the international market. And that's why China is doing so well, because one of the difference between China and other countries went out the international system 
is that China made its currency, the yuan, unconvertible. So you cannot trade the yuan. You yeah. cannot sell it. You cannot short sell it. You cannot destroy its value. Right. What's sickening is that there must be at least some congressmen who are aware of this. I mean, I think most of them are, and they're some, willing. Yeah, they're willing. Some of them, some of a lot of them have stock. I mean, they all have stocks in something or other. Some of them actually have stock in the insurance companies that stand to gain from the so-called Obamacare that is supposedly holding the whole thing up here. It's like it's just contrived from start to finish. I think they must. Some of them, anyway, must realize. Okay, so we'll just print some more money and put it off for now. You know, go home for Christmas and see what happens next. But they, at least some of them must not be that short-termist, you know, and, and be able to see that, well, we need to have a, a serious solution because this, this won't go on indefinitely. Um, yeah, but they're going to – it's like, it's, again, it's when you play Monopoly, you know, if if you're playing Monopoly, you get into it and you're all like, you know, this is fake paper money, but you all want to collect it up. You know, naturally, it's fake. It's fake. It's totally paper money. It's not even real. But once you're playing the game, you want to get as much and you compare your stacks to other people's stacks, and they're doing the same thing. They're playing a giant global game of Monopoly, yeah. and they know it's a game, but they're having fun anyway. Mm, I, I could be wrong. It could be that they, they really take manifest destiny and – America is the greatest to heart, and they actually believe that, you know, God's on their side, and they'll be all right. Maybe. Uh, again, unlike Monopoly, what they seize in the end during this crisis time are very real asset, assets. Yeah. The resources, the public resources, and the life of people, the working condition of people. It's so, like a game of mob Monopoly when you get stripped at the end, you know? And at the e yeah. in the end, what you get is real buildings and real houses, yeah. and you get citizens in the streets. Well, they they sort of told us what they're going to do this week, announcing the next Federal Reserve Chairman, um, a woman for the first time. Her name is what's her name again? Her name is just as evil as all the old crusty white men. That's <laughs> her full name, including the I middle. think it's Ellen something or other. Anyway, so she was she's currently Vice Chairman. She was working with Alan Greenspan in the '90s, so she's a career Federal Reservist. And uh, very much a believer in business as usual, so they're just going to print their way out of this for now. And the money you can bet won't go the one place where it might actually do some good, which is directly into the economy. It's going to go to the banks, the hedge funds, which will then take it and speculate on real goods, on the real economy, take whatever profit is left to be extracted out of the real economy and – It'll be it'll be a stock market rally. The headlines will be, oh my God, the Dow Jones is back up. Everything's fine. Meanwhile, another 10 million people have lost their jobs, and they don't care. They don't care because they don't actually need people's taxes anymore. I realize this. They they don't need your taxes, and they don't need you. They've got the fake money, the fake economy. They just need you to believe, or at least be confused long enough to get away with it. Well, <clears throat> I think. Ultimately, capitalism needs something that it neglect, that it destroys its laborers and the labor of people because production is capitalist. Say production comes from the convergence of work, labor, and capital. Actually, capital is not necessary for production. Labor is, and there are many alternative ways to uh, quantify um, wealth apart from uh, money like dollar. Uh, anyway. 
without labor, without laborers, the creation of wealth is inexistent. Because all those buildings, all those roads, those bridges, those planes, it's a result of people spending their life, dedicating their life, sweating, bleeding, to produce goods. And in the end, the wealth of a nation is the total amount of assets, of goods it owns. Right. Which is less and less in America because they export all the labor now. Yeah, and delocalization and depletion of resources. We we may have a call here. I'm not sure if this is a call or this is our person who has to call in every week to listen, but I'm going to go ahead and try. Let's say hello anyway. Yeah. Well, good, 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 good uh, afternoon. Well, good morning. Hi. What's your name? What's your name? California. uh, What's your name then? I'm Brown Beasley, and I'm in uh, California. Hey, Brown. Welcome to the show. Hello. I read the show description. And I may be jumping the gun, Farley. but I haven't. I, but and I'm and I'd like to consider myself informed, but I haven't heard anything about these fireballs. Oh, we're we're gonna get there, aren't we? Which, okay. which fireballs? Which which fireballs do you mean? He means in general. Uh, no, I'm just. I just read the show description and I called in, and uh, I was listening to the conversation, and okay. no, but the fireballs is what got my attention. Also, I noticed that you guys think that it's, well, it's implied in the show description that uh, someone must feel that this, uh, the woman who rammed the White House case and was subsequently killed, that it's no, it's no coincidence or by chance thing happening, that's, that there's some reason that this happened uh, during the time of this governmental shutdown. What do you think? I don't know. That's part of part of the reason why I asked. But my mind is open. I'm willing to hear. Okay. I, you know, I, I mean, I, okay. I, I, I think, I think there's, I think, you know, I don't, I don't see any evidence, or I haven't even heard. And not that, it had, not that everything has to be laid out for me, where I won't, where I don't, where I have the, you know, where I ah, don't have the I got a question. to connect some dots. But go ahead. Mm-hmm. I, I had a question for you, man. Have you ever watched? Do you, do you watch movies? Yeah, I watch movies. Yeah, okay. So you know how the, there's this this is bad Hollywood movies, and in the bad Hollywood movies, you know, like an action film, they always have the bad guy, and in his first scene, he's usually he, he usually like kills somebody horribly in a co- totally meaningless fashion, right, to prove how bad he is, as a demonstration right. of how evil and how far he'll go. It establishes the like this, bad guy, <clears throat> right? And excuse me. No problem. And uh, so, you know, this happens, and it's kind of like classic in, like, Don Simpson movies and these latest Hollywood, you know, movies and Wesley Snipes kind of movies. The bad guy kills one of his own guys for making, like, a, a trivial mistake or something. He was blowing bubble gum, and it popped, and so he kills him horribly, right? If, and if, it's you, all watch, about... if you watch Breaking Bad at all, they did that quite a bit with the characters. Uh, some of yeah. the characters would kill indiscriminately, and you're like, wow, what a savage. And you found yourself rooting against this person hope, and hoping for their eventual demise. But yeah, I'm with right. you on the point. Okay, so what if the government kind of does that stuff as well? <laughs> you know, what if they just sort of do stuff to prove how far they'll go and pro- show what they can do and make you think twice about anything? I mean, what if they did? I mean, what if, I mean, you know, there's Good actually... Point. There's a no, 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 all right, I understand what you're saying. That if any if anyone were to think of... 
Well, and you know what? And that's kind of known beforehand that in, in you know in this this heightened state of 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 terror alert that we've been in for the past twelve, thirteen years, or even lo- or maybe even a little longer. That uh, you know, it, it's I say, you know I know better unless I don't care about what's going to happen to me, to, uh, you know, to go in an airport and create a, and create a ruckus or drive my mm-hmm. car into these barriers. Right. It's, something that I, it's just something that I wouldn't do because, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I like living. This, this mm-hmm. idea of having a bunch of trigger-happy cops that will just shoot a woman in a car with her kids if they think that she's even slightly – I mean, how could they even think that she was anything other than a crazed woman? I mean – you have no Honestly. idea. You know something? I will never defend cops. I do not like cops. I do not like law enforcement, okay? Mm-hmm. Even if you guys are law enforcement, okay? So uh, let's make that clear, okay? But yeah. if this woman, you We're have no idea. Now. You have no idea of knowing what this woman is up to, if there is a possible bomb in the car. If, it wouldn't if, matter. It wouldn't matter. Well, it wouldn't matter. It, it, you have it, to... Well, well, can I explain I'm, I'm why it doesn't I'm matter? Putting, I'm putting, I'm putting, I'm putting that, I'm putting that out there. Yeah, I well, mean, I agree, but I, I I'll go ahead. That's, that's fair enough. But the thing about it is that the reports were that the the baby was taken out of the car before she was shot. So, it, it, there's very little information about what actually happened. Uh, they're being tight-lipped about that, but um, I think. If you're going to look at it from a conspiracy point of view, you have to look at it from a kind of almost from a symbolic point of view, in that they were sending a message. Uh, if if there was a conspiracy here, if this was some kind of an MK Ultra kind of setup kind of thing, or if they used her in some way and then kind of mis- more or less executed her, that they were sending a message to the American people that um, after the whole backlash against the government about Syria. And you know there was a general feeling among, among the population, maybe a sense of empowerment that we can we can dictate to the government, we can control the government to some extent as it should be. If you get angry enough, and if you think you're of attacking, you know these yeah. institutions, that you'll be dealt with. I can't. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to. I'm not going to discount that. I'm also not going to discount the possibility that technology was used. Uh, you know the 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 satellite to skull and 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 putting information in her head uh, yeah. and waves that can be sent. I'm not mm-hmm. going to discount mm-hmm. that at all. But the, the only problem that we run into is that we don't know for sure, and that's why I said I don't know. Okay, mm-hmm. right? That, yeah. That's, what, but, that's why but, I said I, yeah. I don't know. But I'm but I'm not discounting. I'm you know I'm not a. I'm not just going to attack any possible theory. You know, I don't no. know. Right. And the more information hard, that I get, it seems like the harder that it becomes to draw a conclusion. Yeah. Well, hard truth is kind of uh, smoking gun facts and truth is, is hard, very hard to come by. You know, uh, it's basically non-existent. So you just look at the situation and you look at it in the broad context of all the things that are happening around it and you come to, uh, uh, you know, the most likely explanation. You don't have to go around telling people that this is what happened because you don't have the hard evidence, but you make up your own mind and you watch what's going on and you, yeah, you know what I mean? Not, I, I, exactly. I do that, but I, but you know, I, I have a hard time drawing conclusions if I actually have an open mind. Uh, can I bring something up that I thought was interesting yesterday that hasn't gotten that much attention? And it's, and it's kind of right along the lines of what you guys are talking about. Go ahead. This. Yesterday, I think at around 7 a.m. California time, there was a that what was being called a computer a computer glitch with the food stamp program. 
the EBT cars weren't working. Uh-huh. And that went on for hours. In fact, if you were to check the kcal.com website, there's a little uh, – they 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 spoke about it and they had a little uh, you know they interviewed people coming outside of a of a grocery store in Hollywood and 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 you know my mind works just like yours does along those lines I was like what if this was a test run if they could stop food stamps okay uh, just stop feeding people or, or or stop you know make these cards not work and what mm-hmm. would the reaction be. Mm-hmm. Because this went on for maybe ten hours before it was the, the glitch was fixed, mm-hmm. and I thought that that was a possibility. You know mm-hmm. that like here's a test run in case uh, they're planning on you know stopping the program, uh, yeah. or yeah. or they're mm-hmm. unable to fund the program, or they yeah. can choose not uh, to fund the program. Could they uh, shut it down just to see you know what people would do? Just like in the same respect, just like the the response mm-hmm. that you saw in Boston where they shut the whole city down to look for one guy. Mm-hmm. You know? It's mm-hmm. never been done yeah, before. I mean, that you shut, <clears throat> down, shut down an entire city to incur, declare martial law uh, without declaring martial law. Uh, but that's mm-hmm. exactly what it was. And you shut down the city for one day to see the reaction of the people. It's kind of almost like a, 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 a dry test run to see how people react. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. maybe to condition the people to this, something like this happening again. Mm-hmm. I think... There's two kind of ways to look at that, two main ways to look at that, and neither of them are very good. You know, one is that the system is failing. Uh, in terms of the food stamps, the system's just falling apart. You know, it's, there, there's glitches happening because, you know, the U.S. as a, as a state... is run by incompetent people. It's run by incompetent people and corrupt people who only care for themselves, and they're just not caring so much anymore, and things are, you know, getting a little bit uh, out of control. And in terms of the Boston thing, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it could be just a, a natural outplay of the whole uh, terrorism business. We've got a build-up of the police force and the, you know, the, the militarization you know, of the country, and then you get cops acting the way that they act. I mean, you've got all these cops with all this, all these uniforms and weapons and training, and what are they going to do? I mean, as soon as there's you, a little you, bomb, you know what's funny? Somewhere. What just happened? You know what's funny? What just happened? What? Uh, uh, you mentioned the, you know, the the the, the likelihood or the the possibility of. Of a conspiracy when it came with this woman, and I made arguments to counter that. Now, mm-hmm. when I bring up the idea of a conspiracy uh, or, or, or you know something contrived with the, the situation in Boston uh, and the and the and the food stamp uh, you know glitch with the cars, mm-hmm. uh, you did the, you did exactly what I did. You you applied mm-hmm. some you know. What was yeah, the, well, we're looking know. at it both ways. We're, we're right, no, exactly. That's, and and, and that's why ways. it gets hard to draw the conclusion. That's why you don't know a lot about a lot of these things. Exactly. But either way, like I said, either way, it's not good. No, it's not right? good. Either way. Either way. So no, you, we can all agree on that, and everybody can be 100% sure that stuff ain't good right now, and it's looking bad, and it's going downhill, and we all need to do something to to kind of prepare for it, you know, in, in some way or other. I, I, uh, I, got, I agree with you. <clears throat> Yeah. All right. Well, thanks listen, for calling in. Brian, thanks for calling in. Real Thank good. You. Thanks, Brian. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Sure. One point maybe to add about this uh, desensitization and testing the water drills. Each time the test, reducing basically the rights of citizens, increasing the oppression, each time citizens don't react, mm-hmm. it's one victory of the elites. Yeah. It's one loss because the citizen didn't, didn't step up. Well, their rights and didn't defend their rights, yeah. and 
accepted because doing nothing is accepted. Freedom is, is, is lost in inches, man. It's never a big it's never a big True. thing. It's not like one day they say, Oh by the way, you're not free. Boiding frog. Yeah, it's been happening for quite a long time. But uh, on that food stamps thing, I mean yeah, I mean his point is is valid in terms of it could be <clears throat> a preparation because assuming there's some kind of, you know, Intelligence, you know, like in in the movie Team America, they have a computer that's called Intelligence, and it tells them what's going on in the country. You know, uh, that it's analyzing the state of, you know, the the, the American mind and, and what's going on and, and among the society and, and the population and what the feeling is, you know, where it's going. And if they see something down the line, or they expect something down the line, where there's going to be some kind of major social unrest, uh, like the CIA produced this report for for Bush in 2004 where they said by 2020 things would have all gone to hell and uh, you know there'd be mass unrest everywhere for basic supplies and food and water and stuff Um, if they believe that and they see it happening they expect some kind of social chaos and unrest they'd probably want it to happen on their terms rather than on the people's terms you know so there would probably be some level of stage managing it you know um, at least putting things in place to prepare for that kind of eventuality. Obviously, a militarized police force and uh, mm-hmm. security apparatus in the country are very important. And uh, and you'd see a lot of the elite kind of pulling themselves in type of thing in terms of, you know, protecting their interests and, and you know, blocking themselves off from the great unwashed, <clears throat> you know. and The rabble. Yeah, the rabble with a view to them. Oh my God, these, these dirty, unclean, poor people are going to... They're going to revolt in some way. There's going to be. It's not going to be good. We're not going to like it. It's going to end up kind of like Brazil, you know, or like the South American countries where you have like a street, and on the left side of the street, it's total squalor, and on the right side of the street, there's these gigantic walled fences with ornate gates and massive mm-hmm. security armies. And have you been to Detroit lately? <laughs> no, I've never been to Detroit, and I never or was. or any other major city in the U.S. Um, it's always good to look at things you know, in the round. When we go back to the overall chain of events that led to this current financial crisis in the U.S., I mean, it, it for me, it's comparable with the collapse of the Soviet Union. Yeah. You know, this is what is happening to the U.S. If we look at it just in terms of psychopaths doing what psychopaths do, then the incompetence, yeah, there's a lot of contrived self-involvement in there, but it it, the sum total is this the collective incompetence, and I think well, there are opinion polls in the U.S. and people are uh, pretty clear that they just blame the fact that the politicians are incompetent, and in a way they're on the mark. You know, whether it's testing waters, you know, uh, this or that, that it, it it's it's the collapse of on that. Topic, it was inevitable because I completely agree. And I was thinking before we even came into the show that I don't know if you ever watched professional wrestling. But uh, in professional wrestling, there's a th- probably not. There's something called a heel face turn, and a heel face turn is when the bad guy suddenly does something to redeem himself and becomes the good guy, and then the good guy often will become the bad guy, you know, and they'll just do it because it's like a soap opera. And and I was looking at this whole situation with what's going on with America, and America has been sort of like the face, i.e., the good guy, um, ostensibly. Of course, obviously that's not the truth, but that's how they've presented themselves. And Russia has been the bad guy. And then now we see like Putin coming out with this whole basically, oh, Americans doing yeah, this. And he's it's got just, the moral high ground, right? He's got the moral high ground. And now America has just got, taken a complete tank, mm-hmm. diving off, nosedive off the end, and is becoming the heel 
of this particular story. I mean, and it seems like even even more today that politics is just show business. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's professional wrestling. The thing about incompetence is that if greed would manifest as incompetence to the average person, if you have a, a group of people who are meant to be responsible for a group of other people, and they, that group of people who are in a position of responsibility become greedy and stop providing for the other people, the people who aren't being provided for anymore will say those people are useless, they're not doing their job properly. But yeah, they're not. But what's the source of it? It's not necessarily that they're incompetent. It's that they're, you know, they're they're greedy. They're keeping all the stuff for themselves. They're not fulfilling their function and they're not being responsible. And people say, well, you're useless. You're incompetent. Yeah, you can call it incompetence, but behind it is greed and just a complete lack of care for the people under their care. It's kind of like that saying of uh, any sufficient degree of incompetence is indistinguishable from malevolence. Yeah, it's exactly. like any sufficient degree of greed is indistinguishable from incompetence. Yeah, you know? we have another call here. I'm going to go ahead and take it. Hi, caller. What's your name? Where you call from? Hello. Hello. Um, Hi. Sorry. What's um, your name? Where you calling from? Calling from New Zealand, Michael. Hey, Michael. How's Very it going? Lovely. Hi, Michael. Oh, live long and prosper, dude. All right, you too. Just uh, uh, this recent. Uh, I'll just change the topic a little bit. Uh, the uh, recent uh, uh, sacking of uh, general from the nuclear. Um, yeah. Nuclear. You know. What's What's your take on that? Um, well, I don't know if there's much behind that, really. I mean, a bit of infighting, a bit of... I mean, the, the official story is that they were incompetent uh-huh. or that they weren't performing their, their duties responsibly. They don't say exactly what they did. It could be some kind of a, a scandal. But, I mean, I'm not sure there's much behind that in terms of just because they were, you know, had some level of of uh, responsibility over nuclear weapons and stuff that there's anything involving nuclear weapons behind that and I tend to think it's more along the lines of uh, kind of uh, adjustment of uh, positions within that military uh, infrastructure and maybe somebody getting booted for some reason or other maybe through blackmail or you know there's a rumor going around the interwebs (laughs) that a nuke was set off somewhere off the east coast of the US a source of hell Yes, it is. And her evidence for that was the fact that there was a, a minor earthquake. Kremlin said it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah I do, think... do you have a take on it, Michael? Or? Oh, hard to tell because it's kind of strange to make a, a, a state that a, a general that's been in the service for 35 years suddenly has behavioral, uh, behavioral problems. I mean, kind of mm-hmm. weird. So yeah, I think well, it's certainly, kind of... certainly smacks of an excuse. All right, Michael, go ahead. Well, it seems like an, uh, quite, uh, there was an interesting comment on that article about uh, infighting going on and they're trying to get rid of those who are opposing, I don't know, some, something. Yeah, it could have been, yeah. Although, mm. again, I think the whole nuclear nuclear thing is um, is a bit of a... It's a bit of a red lame duck or red herring type thing because it's used to scare people, you know, nuclear weapons and stuff and and you see most of the really really fringe conspiracy theorists coming up with all sorts of ideas about n- nukes over the years and stuff and I, I'm not sure there's any any threat from anybody pushing buttons or anybody planning or desiring to use nukes against anybody else because I think there's a there really has been for a long time a moratorium on that in the sense of they all realize that 
um, unless it was a small nuclear device or something like that. But uh, in terms of nu- nuclear war uh, between two nuclear-equipped nations and stuff, and I don't think that was ever going to happen and will never happen. Mm. Because it's, Similar, it's, I think, it's, I, think no, I agree with you with that, on that one. Great yeah. show, Gareth. All right. Thanks, Thanks for your call. Thank you, Michael. Uh, no worries. Thanks. We're going to go straight to another call here. They're coming thick and fast. Oh, my God. Hi, Hi caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Radio Melee. Hello. We have some. Uh, we have somebody on the line there, but they're maybe the, it might be. It it's our friend who likes to listen in. Is this our friend who likes to listen in via phone? Okay. Well, I just say we move on. Hang up and move on. Okay. Anyway, um, I have a point there. I think the conspiracy theory that people would like to believe about this new thing is that something mutinous happened and that somebody in the general command is kicking up a fuss and yeah. is going to take over the government in a coup d'etat that will be for the good of all. Huh. That was kind of the flavor of hope that came out of the whole Benghazi affair, mm. when not just Petraeus lost command, but like four generals in, in, the, in uh, AFRICOM mm-hmm. were sacked in subsequent mm-hmm. weeks. Mm-hmm. Turns out, I mean, Benghazi, it wasn't a good, bad thing. No. It was because someone was caught with their pants down. Yeah, literally. Literally, literally, in Andreas's case, uh, and it, ex- it it just risked exposure for the whole lot of them altogether. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, it's it got so bad that when you see that kind of a, something like that happening, where someone, a high level military person or diplomat or whatever, is removed, uh, if they're removed because of infighting, while people would like to believe that it's because that person wanted to <clears throat> change the system and fight for the people. It's usually because they wanted to do something that was equally as bad, but wasn't, they, wasn't were, they, were, over, wasn't, they were overruled, you know? One of them wanted to attack this country, and the other, one, the other group wanted to attack this country, so they booted out the guys who wanted to attack. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's, how, yeah. that's the level that it's at. There's no, unfortunately, inside that kind of a hierarchy and structure today, there are no good guys. But that's they don't what happens. get up to that position. That's what happens in a pathocracy, though. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, there's yeah. two different psychopathic reactions. Yeah. You get factions coming up and fighting each other. I want to tie this with something that came up this week. Joe, you mentioned this 2020 Pentagon report where they projected uh, mm-hmm. a global environmental scenario for 2020. Well, I found um, an article this week. It's about the research of a guy named Peter Turchin. Mm-hmm. He's a professor at the University of uh, Connecticut, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he basically is using, looking at a lot of his, historical data, economic, social, and showing that there are cycles, and basically pointing out the inevitability of the collapse of the United States, mm-hmm. as we know it anyway. Um, now, he's not thinking really of environmental factors, he's just thinking of political instability, that the signs are in place, and mm-hmm. that he, he predicts, he, he claims with mathematical certainty that by 2020, mm-hmm. it will be a, a dead cert. Mm-hmm. An interesting little footnote is that the research is part funded by the CIA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So of course they take an interest in this. Absolutely, yeah. Sure. I think somebody taking an interest somewhere and they're trying to figure out what way it's going to go. And yeah. I mean, their heads and their bets. Ultimately, you've got an elite who are protecting their positions. This guy, and they're going to do whatever they have to do to, to try and keep those. This you know? professor said there were two key indicators, at least the two that were mentioned in the article. One is that it's actually one of the problems is kind of a good one, which leads to a bad one. You have an an an, an overabundance of 
educated people, or at least people with higher education, mm. whose skills are not used because mm. of waste and inefficiency. Mm. The other one is that, oh yeah, resulting from this is that there's more competition mm. for privileged positions yeah. higher up the ranks, and things start to get rough, and they start to mm. fight. And it's, he said it's not so much that there's social revolution from below, it's a lot of the cases, looking back in history, it's because revolutions are inspired by factions right. stirring up shit down below. It's because they're competing with each other right. up above. Yeah, and mm -hmm. one, of, one of them wins and, and gets complacent, and the next one says, well, this isn't over yet. Mm. And through their own hubris, they, they fight with each other and kind of throw... Throw the how do they call it? Throw the, the gauntlet. Throw the baby out of the pram type of thing. Oh, <laughs> throw the baby out of the bathwater. And uh, they throw in the towel, or they just say, "Well, screw it all." You know, just through their own self-importance and hubris, they just like you're saying at that level, it starts to break down at the level of uh, of uh, government or the, the, the controlling elite that are meant to keep things in place. And because people have uh, submitted themselves. You know the masses of people have submitted themselves to such people for so long. When that breaks down because of that kind of infighting, the whole system breaks down. No one knows how to go to work anymore because they're not being told to. Because the government, like on this government shutdown, government shuts down. That means supposedly the whole country shuts down. Supposedly, you know? well, a million people are twiddling their thumbs. There are yes. a million educated, middle-class Americans on top of the yeah. millions already. Yeah, without work. But they've created a situation like I'm talking about food stamps and food aid programs and stuff that are all administered by the government, they've created, through the corruption, they've created this underclass that is dependent on those, that kind of aid uh, to live. <clears throat> and if the government collapses, if the government you know, falls apart in, in any significant way, you're going to have a lot of people who are depending on that kind of government aid because of a corrupt system uh, who are going to be uh, in difficulties. And they might, like you're saying, they would then be the the overt evidence of a, of a revolution type thing, unrest, civil unrest. But as you just said, it started from from the top where they just couldn't get their their shit together <laughs> anymore because they're just idiots. The the you know it's kind of you've got a well, bunch I mean, of people in government suffering from the Dunning Kruger effect. You know they don't know they're incompetent. They don't know that their own hubris and uh, right. greed is causing. Uh, ultimately, the destruction of, of of all that they hold dear themselves, their positions, and everything. You know, it's just this terrible. Is exactly what Lobachevsky talked about when he talked about like the upward adjustment of cycle. Mm -hmm. They start bringing their own kind, the people who 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 they party with, you know, in their in their back room. Mm. They bring them up to positions of power, and these people are just they're incompetent. They can't manage an economy. Mm. They can't manage a a welfare yeah. system, and so they just tank it. You know. At, at the same time, I'm not sure that uh, incompetency. And conspiracies are mutually exclusive. Exactly. If you when you if you read the shock doctrine, Naomi Klein's book, you can see that in dozens of countries for decades and decades, the same template has been applied, implemented successfully over years. Each time, it shows that uh, <clears throat> this process of destroying and looting countries has been conducted by a few elites who benefited from it and. Uh, who made it successfully. So on one side, you have some politicians who are led by greed, hence their apparent incompetency. But if the driver is greed, if they manage to get wealthy, they're not incompetent. Yeah. They're competent to fill their pockets and empty yours. And at the same time, I think there's another level, a, a smaller circle of insiders who orchestrate 
those kind of operations, destroy, destroy countries, and fill their pockets as well. Well, both are coexistent. Evil, competent evil, in my opinion, is the lesser. Because incompetent evil is the kind that just doesn't get it, and they will mess things up in ways that, that even a competent evil person wouldn't. It's but a conspiracy of dunces. Exactly. I was going to say, you know, be, be, beware the power of a conspiracy of dunces, because just because they're idiots, I mean, together they're like a giant beehive of, of idiocy and incompetence, but they still manage to, to do horrible, horrible things simply out of just sheer numerical power. Of trying, like, you know, if you have a million of them, they try 999,000 different ways that don't work, and that one way that does basically blows the whole planet up. So, mm -hmm. I mean. So, this weekend, there were meant to be thousands, up to 10,000 truckers uh, yeah. clogging up the roads around the, around Washington, D.C., on the D.C. Beltway. Uh, the shooting. And um, it didn't turn out so well. It ended up rather than thousands. It ended up as dozens of truckers, so it was a bit of a damp squib. Um, but interestingly, in the lead up to this, because it's been it's been being talked about for quite a long quite a long time, quite quite a few weeks, um, certain individuals co-opted the truckers' right for the Constitution or truckers to shut down American groups to the point that people who um, the people who are running those who, who came up with the idea initially stated that there were um, other groups who are spreading false information. And uh, <clears throat> one of those groups or one of those people is a person known to us called uh, Pete Santilli, who is a weird, freaky, fringe conspiracy theorist um, who bears all the hallmarks of being a CIA or, well, some kind of an intel agency plant or dupe, or just maybe he just nuts himself. I don't know if he does it because he, cause he enjoys being an idiot, but uh, he is an idiot, and he glommed on to this whole truckers movement, and he decided... Is he a trucker? No, and he decided that they were... He claimed that they were going to... Uh, that if, if, it, if it didn't achieve the goals, or if, you know, if, he even said if not, a lot, if not enough truckers got or joined the protest... That they would, the ones that did arrive would uh, would arrest members of Congress, and there would be violence, etc. So he, he, he kind of ran this particular oh. train off the tracks or this truck off the road, if you know what I mean. He um, just by spreading disinformation and making them sound like a bunch of extremists, and he probably was largely responsible for such a such a small number of, of truckers joining because as soon as they heard of people like him and saying the kind of things he said. And he's also been saying, making racist comments uh, as part of this campaign. So, and Pete Santelli was on our show several, couple, few months ago on our Judy Wood show. Uh, he's a Judy Wood fanatic and he seems to be, have attached himself to Judy Wood to discredit her work just right. by being Pete Santelli. I mean, just, he doesn't necessarily have to say anything anymore. You just have to say, oh, Pete Santelli agrees with that and then you're screwed, you know, yeah. because he is such a flaming idiot. Yeah. <clears throat> And a disreputable kind of person. Um, so I don't know if Pete's listening to the show. He probably doesn't. But uh, uh, Pete, sue me. You know? Uh, <laughs> don't. Um, <clears throat> so, um, but he, I think he's a nice enough guy. He, he would admit that he's an idiot. Anyway. Um, well, yeah, so that, that's, kind of, that's kind of interesting well, in, terms of, in terms of coming at the I, time that it... That it I hate harping on this, but it's like people got to learn, you know, they have to network together and you have to learn about these 
these type of COINTEL Pro individuals that get sent in and and they don't even they're not even trying to be your friend. They're just trying to talk loud enough for 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 them to be on the podium next to you and for you to be associated by guilt with association. You know, I mean, the minute they come in, you kind of have to be like really decisive with calling them out. Yeah, showing exactly what they're trying to do, and and it's amazing how easy it is for them to do it, though. I mean, they don't have to expend so little energy; they just have to open their big mouths and start saying stuff to discredit it, you know. And it's, I mean, because people are desperate to get, you know, people in. They want everyone in the door. They want to be, you know, they want to be all about equality and everyone's welcome. And then they get that one guy who knocks them off the podium and says, "Yeah," and then afterward, we're going to arrest Congress, and then everything's over. Yeah, it wasn't just. It wasn't just people from the right. There were also groups from the left mm. coming at this as, oh, right for the Constitution. That means you're right-wingers. Yeah, they totally There was one one article in particular I came across from Think Progress. So it's a kind of a lefty alternative news, pretty big, but it seems to get a large readership. And they were attacking it from the point of view of, oh, they're right-wing nutsoids. So they're all right. part of it. It's, it's the way to divide people, you know. Yeah. If you listen, look at what they were saying, the truckers, they were just saying, no, look, we're just sick of corruption, period. We don't care who or what party the person says they represent. Yeah. Corruption. It was, it was very yeah. simple. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone can agree with that. Yeah, but they, they subverted it and they, they co-opted it. And Santilli and another fellow or, organizer uh, who, who glommed onto this, uh, Zita Andrews, uh, this is Zita Andrews has stated in the past that I'm not sure if it's a guy or a girl. He or she believes that President Obama and Osama bin Laden are the same person. Uh, so that's, the kind of per- that's the kind of person that you're you're dealing with. I mean, it's not even real conspiracy theories. I mean, they just mix stuff yeah. up and throw throw two together and create a new conspiracy theory that's really ridiculous. No one can believe they establish their credentials as a complete nutcase because that's mm-hmm. what they want to establish. So then they can go around attaching themselves to people who are genuinely trying to affect some change and discredit them. And then and, a few of them made extremists racist comments on the right for the constitution facebook page and facebook shut down mm-hmm. the page mm-hmm. after they got like 80,000 votes it's pretty easy to do these days you know yeah you know and and it's it's criminal you mm-hmm. know i mean it really is this criminal kind of behavior but there's there's hardly a defense against it because they just have an army of people that they just send at you and they're posting on your boards and they're joining up mm-hmm. in your groups and they're sending their letter campaigns and saying they represent your organization and it's like, yeah. If you know? there is a silver lining here, I, I really like their idea. Yeah. So if you can imagine, even just 500 truckers, I mean, these are huge yeah. vehicles. Yeah. Their plan was just to drive super slow the whole way around, loop around Washington, D.C., you know, take in shifts, I guess, for three days. I mean, that that would be a serious message. Yeah. And the point is to attract attention by doing that, to attract attention, national media attention to what they were saying, which was that the U.S. government is corrupt. And uh, U.S. politicians need to uh, yeah, and we're sick stand down. And they need, and they were talking about wars. They were talking about the Syrian the attempt to yeah. invade Syria. They were they were bringing recent uh, events into focus and trying to get on national media. They wanted the, the media to report on these basic statements that they're making that should be self-evident to everybody. That and, and I think that most Americans agree with that. It's uh, that the government is, a, or is is populated by a bunch of corrupt uh, creeps. And they just wanted the media. I mean, it was a, it was a bit naive in a way because right. the media is not going to allow anybody. Right. Uh, um, the, but it would be hard to, to yeah. <coughs> it, you know, because it, because it was a serious threat. But that actually they infiltrated its movement. Yeah. Call exactly. back to our to our There's first caller though. 
who was talking about how difficult it is to make decisions about stuff. You know, you're trying to keep it open mind. You don't know, whatever. So um, in that type of situation, there is a very, very simple test to know if a person is just totally a whack job and probably like a CIA plan. If the first thing out of his mouth is then if it doesn't work, then we'll go to violence. Then you you know you yeah. know automatically that even if he's not actually working for some sort of intelligence agency, he might as well be. Exactly. Well, there was a guy they'd organized a protest for July Fourth, Independence Day this year, where vets, U.S. vets from Iraq and recent wars, would march on D.C. And then it morphed into well, let's march on D.C. armed with our rifles. Yeah, and the, the, the person leading that was, you know, like a complete agitator. I've forgotten his name. I think it's Adam Kokesh. Yeah. And he's always the one who will, you know, come out there with a the violent option first and foremost. That's always a red flag for me. The interesting thing is, is we've got a book uh, upstairs. It's this little tiny book, and it's from, I guess, like the early 1900s from the workers' movement. Uh, laborers were, were organizing like early union type of stuff, and the name of it is the Agent Provocateur, where it basically talks about this exact type of person, and it's been a, it's been a really it's been a, the go-to strategy for dealing with anybody. It's why Martin Luther King was so adamant and upfront, constantly with this no violence, no violence, no violence, no violence. Yeah, and and when you get somebody who doesn't say that then you automatically know that they're not worth listening to and they're probably either an agent or at least they're serving the 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 same the same kind of CIA masters even if they're not actually working for them if you look at the global picture the psychopathic mind the psychopathic elites are pursuing two mutually exclusive goals i greed and control if you follow this greed goal you will increase the oppression of people who will eventually, sooner or later, revolt. That means you lose the control. So here we are addressing a key point in this uh, social experiment that is control of the people during revolt time. And we know for centuries now the tools and the techniques the elites are using, the agent provocateurs, infiltration of the so-called movements that defend the citizen rights, in particular unions, and setting the stage to conduct the revolt, quote-unquote, under their own terms. Preparing uh, people or crowd control technologies, armies, but yeah. actually they control both camps. They control the army right. police camps, and they yeah. control also well the so-called um, revolt camp, yeah. people camp. They create their own Emmanuel Kulzi. But uh, as an amelioration to that, one of the things that they do, one of their main tools is to create situations of desperation to get people to basically for the paycheck because they have to feed their kids to compromise on their principles, their ethics, and their morals and work for them. So they create a situation where people basically have to kind of sell out in order to survive this whole this highly competitive thing with a bunch of educated people who now they have this cutthroat kind of like Darwin pool to see who's going to get the high-placed jobs and who's going to get the position. They kind of want to create situations like that so that then they, they bubble up the, the best people to the top and they can kind of pick them and recruit them. And those people are willing to, to go further because of a desperate situation than they would be if things were better off. Yeah, and it was a, it's a tricky... Like Hunger Games. Yeah, like Hunger Games. Yeah. You know? It's a tricky combination because on one side, the elites, they want good 
slave laborers. So they promote more and more studies, technical studies. But it means that eventually people reach a sometimes good thinking capabilities. But at the same time, because of uh, profit maximization, you try to minimize wages and uh, quantity of laborers because it costs money. So you end up with a society, what is called developed societies, with a lot of highly qualified people who don't work while at the bottom of the social class. It means you have a lot of people who are not satisfied with the system, who are ripe for rebellion, but at the same time they have knowledge, they have some knowledge, which might bring some efficiency to this uh, revolt uh, dynamics. Recently, there was a Anderson Cooper show called Cosmic Russian Roulette. Just Cosmic Roulette. Was it? Yeah. Okay. I think Cosmic Russian Roulette's a little bit of a better title, though. It's got yeah. all kinds of like implications. Well, they made there. reference to Cosmic Russian Roulette. Oh, yeah. They did. Yeah. That's and what we're looking at. It, well, it was it, it was interesting. The show was actually interesting, but mainly for the example, for being an example of how, because he, he interviewed a bunch of different NASA scientists and, and different people involved in looking at the asteroid or near-Earth asteroid threat. <clears throat> and this was in light of the um, the Chelyabinsk uh, meteor overhead explosion um, earlier this year. And it was interesting to watch the NASA scientists <clears throat> explain that that it wasn't really a threat, while at the same time making it clear via the data they gave that it really was a threat, and at the same time saying that it's a threat, but it's not a threat because there are all these space rocks out there, and we can't really see them, but we're working to be able to spot them, and except we don't have enough funding, except we don't have enough funding to to do them, so we. To be able to, to be able to see them, so we would be able to see them, and we would be able to protect everybody if we had that funding. And we have identified 95% of the really big ones, um, but there are smaller ones that could be continent destroyers that we can't really identify because there's too many of them. There's like a million of them, <laughs> but we have the big ones, and it's just—it was just this convoluted yeah. attempt to kind of like that, and that they really feel that attempt to um, convince uh, Anderson Cooper that everything was cool and that they had it under control. Because in, in overall, it was just the impression you were left with was, oh my God, these guys are just—they're useless. Why are they being even being paid? You know, they should just be at home watching this guy and. There's no point in me well, reporting on anything, you know. The Obama administration <laughs> agrees because they just lost more funding than <laughs> their whatever services they're providing have not been reinstated. Well, I have a little excerpt here of that Anderson Cooper show. Just let you let you hear uh, what I'm talking about. There's a few little excerpts from the show, so we'll go ahead and play that. This is video of that asteroid in Russia, barreling toward Earth at 40,000 miles an hour. It exploded into pieces 19 miles above and 25 miles south of the city of Chelyabinsk. People thought it had missed them entirely until minutes later when the shockwave arrived. Shattering glass, crushing doors, and knocking some people right off their feet. 
More than a thousand were injured. How much warning did people in Chile Bend have? None. Paul Chodis is a scientist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California. He and his boss Don Yeomans have been trying to track near-Earth objects for decades. We didn't see it coming. Uh, it was coming from the general direction of the sun, so it was in the daytime sky as it approached. So how did you find out about it? Twitter and YouTube uh, when we when we first saw the images. So the first people at NASA heard about it was Twitter. <laughs> exactly. This telescope at the Table Mountain Observatory in California is one of dozens all over the world that are used to track and study near-Earth objects. Mainzer told us they're often very hard to find. Some of these asteroids are really, really dark, darker even than coal in some cases, kind of like the soot at the bottom of a barbecue grill. So you're looking for something that's darker than coal against a black sky. Exactly. And now you see the problem. <laughs> Another problem is that ground-based telescopes can't see objects coming from the direction of the sun because they're in the daytime sky, like the asteroid that hit Russia. You see these movies with Bruce Willis where an asteroid is coming and is going to destroy the world. Is that likely? No. No. We found 95% uh, of the large ones and none of them represent a threat in the next 100 years or so. What about the other 5%? We're still looking. This is all the asteroids that are... There are about a million asteroids large enough to destroy a city out there. And right now we only know of, of what percent of those asteroids? About one half of one percent. Does it worry you that you only know one percent of these asteroids that are big enough to destroy a city? Well, most of those are really small. And the odds are that many of these would hit in a remote area or, or could hit in, in an ocean. So that is why the larger ones are those that we were paying attention to first. Now, the next size range is the one to concentrate on, those that can cause you know, continent-wide extinction or, or d destruction. Yeah, that would be pretty good to That's prevent that <laughs> continent-wide destruction. <laughs> those are the next ones. We'll continue to find those, and we, and we work our way down to the small ones. But right now, an object that could wipe out the eastern seaboard or New York City could be a day away, and there's a very good chance we wouldn't know about it. Well, we're working to make sure that we will know about it. But right now, we wouldn't know about it. That's possible. You can't deflect what you don't detect, which is why former astronaut Ed Liu has taken on a new mission. Here's the telescope that we're building. He's now chairman of the B612 Foundation, which has designed a space-based telescope to speed up the discovery of near-Earth objects. NASA's Amy Mainzer has been developing one, too. Both telescopes would be able to find asteroids by using infrared sensors that detect heat rather than light. But a telescope like this would cost roughly half a billion dollars, and so far neither the United States nor any other government has committed significant funds. So the B612 Foundation is trying to raise the money privately by reaching out to individual donors. I don't think there's any other global uh, catastrophe global-scale catastrophe that we can prevent. This is the only one that I know of. We can solve this particular issue for the cost of building a freeway overpass. I mean, that's literally what it is. But nobody has been killed by an asteroid. Yeah. And what I'm saying is that you can't wait to that point afterwards when you say we should have done it. You have to think of this as cosmic roulette, right? The phrase that they have in Vegas is that the house always wins. And, you know, the sort of secret to all this is that we're not the house. At some point, you know, the solar system's going to get you. They're very low probability events, but very high consequence events. The problem, it seems like, is you're asking people to care about something which may not affect 
their lives, may not even affect their children's lives. That's true. It's a tough concept to get across because, as you say, it's uh, something that may not happen for another 100 years, 200 years. It may happen tomorrow morning. Clock's ticking down, folks. It may happen tomorrow morning. I would just like to point out that that is some bullshit, right? That's just this so much BS. Which part? They now apparently have portable x-ray scanners that they're giving to police to carry around to, like, inspect people and look into buildings, right? They're giving that stuff to the police, but they can't launch a satellite that can find some rocks. Mm. I mean, and we're going to use infrared. They, well, like, they, can't, find, they, can't, they can't fund it. They won't fund it. They can't get any government funding for it. $500 million. They can't get $500 million, and they're having to look to individuals. for a minute. It's like these guys are – these individuals, those two individuals that want to have designed this uh, telescope that could detect the heat signal because they, uh, they made it clear that if it's in the daytime and it comes from the sun, we can't see it, and at nighttime and it's black, we can't see it. So it has to be – it can't be based on light. It has to be based on heat. And they're looking to ordinary people, so they're kind of appealing to the public. Listen, the government doesn't care about the threat, as evidenced in, uh, by the Russian meteorite earlier this year, that we could all be destroyed. The government doesn't care about that, so uh, could you all, maybe in your own interest, throw some money our way and we can launch this thing and maybe we'll have an idea. Not that that would solve the problem necessarily, but at least it would be something that was genuinely motivated and somebody really trying to do something, mm-hmm. but it's not coming from the government. It's, it's not just money they're looking for. They've been putting out feelers for months now, asking the general public to send in their ideas yeah. about how, how, what would we, how would we deflect an asteroid because their own work, they, they wouldn't work. They, they're actually like going, yeah. what would we do? What would you do? I, th- I think the... There's some truth, and there's a lot of lie in this uh, interview. It's probably difficult to identify soon enough a black body over a black background using light. So infrared technology makes sense, and that's what they've been using in military for years in order to detect uh, nukes and missiles. Um, however, if they are conducting an extensive asteroid survey program, infrared-based uh, uh, telescope in, in the space, satellites. Maybe they will, come to the, they will come to the conclusion that there is a lot of asteroids, that their number is growing, mm. that there are major threats for the planet, and worst of all, detection is good. But if you cannot neutralize the but, asteroids, it means a total hysterization of the population. But, we surround it with asteroids yeah. and we cannot do anything against exactly. them. But they, so, but they may not detect them unless lie, and one of the main lie in this show, uh, I'm almost finished, the, one of the main line of this show is that this guy says, yeah, we have identified 95%. So we are still have 5% to identify. But if they cannot detect black bodies of a black background, how do they know that what they have detected is 95% exactly. of the total? Exactly. They don't know the total. And but I'm willing to bet that the total is much, much but higher than the estimated 100% that is in the mind. But the two guys at NASA, did you hear what uh, they said? 95% is the major, the big ones that are, mo- that are more than a quarter of a mile. Yeah. or a half mile wide, the smaller ones uh, are city-destroying meteorites. And there's one million of those no, floating they, around. Yeah, one they million. said that they had less than one half of one percent. Of those. So of they those. basically don't – there's a million more or less there that, they ha- that, that are floating around that could destroy cities. And the NASA guy said, yeah, but they're small. And he's like, and then, they're small. you mean they're small in the sense that you could only destroy a city and couldn't destroy a continent, so you're not concerned about them? And he's like, well, 
Yeah, no, we're looking at the ones that will destroy the world I get first, and we haven't got all those down yet. And on the other point where he said, where Anderson Cooper said, nobody's been hit by a meteorite. Exactly. People have been That's hit right. by a meteorite. Yes, and people have died recently with uh, several several people, three or four <coughs> people died and... Well, that's not confirmed, and you you can be waiting until the How end of time for them to confirm anything. Exactly. There have been a couple of incidents where homes, residential homes, have been completely obliterated. Yeah. Calls unknown, local witnesses says said it sounded like an airplane that came from came from above. Kaboom! Just to give you an idea of what the government is thinking, or the official government policy on this is, here's Obama recently talking about asteroids and how cool they are. But in April 2010, U.S. President Barack Obama announced an even bigger challenge. By 2025, we expect new spacecraft designed for long journeys to allow us to begin the first ever crewed missions beyond the moon into deep space. So we'll start... We'll start by sending astronauts to an asteroid for the first time in history. In my experience as a college teacher, the younger generations, they want to go beyond. Yeah, my, my grandparents went to the moon. You know, let's go beyond. And so that was an inspiring part of the president's message, that we need to get NASA back into the business of deep space. Yeah, it inspired me, you know. Uh, gonna the, send, thing, the man, the astronaut they're going <laughs> to send to asteroids is obviously Bruce Willis, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, that's who talking about. Because we'll finally get rid of them. Yeah. I wanted to. I wanted to point out that Let's, there's like something fundamentally stupid about what those NASA scientists said, which is that um, we we can't even deflect the small ones, right? But that seems like a tackleable problem. So we're going to waste all of our time and effort tracking the asteroids. That if they were going to hit us, there would be absolutely no hope whatsoever in the world. That knowing about them would be pointless. <laughs> you would think that actually. Okay the higher number asteroids would automatically give you a higher rate of impact or possibilities of impact. More asteroids or more more in space bodies, more chance they are going to hit you. Oh, there's, you know, there's 10 big ones and we're we're spending all our money tracking those, but it's all these other ones that are destroying like cities and 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 half a continent that they're like, "Oh, well, we don't want to worry about that because we want to get the really big ones that we couldn't stop ever." Because we can't even stop the small ones. Yeah, well, there is a, a lie concerning the quantity, as we said, quantity of big asteroids. I have no idea how many yeah. are around. I have no idea how many small ones are around. When they say half a percent, we know half a percent. They don't know the total quantity. Well, they said a million. They know yeah. they've tracked a half half of one percent of a million. Yeah, but uh, I don't think they know that the total number is one million no. because there's a lot of small ones. I think small it, ones they it, cannot even see. It's like the national debt, you know. It's 16.7 trillion. Official. Official. Yeah. There's a there's a, a black there. Yeah. There's a black hole. There's a black hole, and uh, that's a, for the quantitative factor. But for the qualitative factor as well, for their risk assessment, they only take into account the Earth impact, impacts on Earth surface. They totally neglect cometary overhead explosions. They totally neglect electrical discharges. They totally uh, neglect electrophonics and they totally neglect airborne viruses. All of, and which have been, all of which have been happening. Maybe not the viruses, we don't know, but the other stuff, the electrophonics and the electrical discharges, there's evidence that all, all of that has been happening over the past few years and an increasing, at an increasing rate. Just to drive home what Pierre was saying, it's like the near Earth misses, the ones that come like right next to the atmosphere and drop off a whole bunch of dust. 
that then falls down and has who knows what in it. Because historically, plagues have come after cometary passes, not necessarily cometary impacts. So just because no. it missed us doesn't mean that it missed us. It doesn't even have, have to be nearby. Like Comet Aizon won't be so close to Earth, actually. It would be more than one astronomical unit away from Earth at its closest point. But a few weeks after Comet Aizon follows this path, the Earth orbit will go through the path to the point where Comet Aizon was several weeks before. You're still far away, but in the end, your atmosphere is subjected to the trail, to the cometary dust, mm -hmm. loaded with a who knows what. Mm -hmm. So in, in, in the aftermath of the Chelyabinsk meteorite earlier this year, uh, Congress set up a, a committee huh. to ask some questions about it, ask NASA some questions about it, and there's a little short excerpt from that uh, session that I'll play here. This segment of the population thinks it's just a matter of call Bruce Willis in, you know, and, and you know, notwithstanding we don't have a shuttle anymore, you know, it's impossible, but... but um, uh, Things that, that beg for an answer, you know, scary, of course, that we only know about 10% of the, the huge ones, threats. Uh, and we virtually have no idea of the small threats, like the one that went undetected, the recent impact in Russia. You know, what would we do uh, if you detected uh, even a small one, uh, like the one that uh, detonated in, in, in Russia, uh, headed for New York City in three weeks? What would we do? Bend over and what? No, I, Congressman, I, you know, that is, um, <laughs> Bend over I, I don't, again, I have to go back to what I said before. These are, these are very rare events. Uh, from the information that we have on, um, on asteroids that we've discovered of all sizes, we don't know of one that, that will threaten the population of the United States, you know, in three weeks. Um, and we are trying very diligently, as I said before, with the President's budget to put ourselves in a position where we advance the technology such that three weeks will not be something that causes us to panic because we will be able to respond. We are where we are today because, you know, you all told us to do something and, and, it, and between the administration and the Congress, the funding to do that did not – the bottom line is always – the funding did not come, and, and, and I don't care whose fault it is or, or if it's anybody's fault. We all know what we're facing today, and we're all sitting here today as the Congress and the administration try to figure out sequestration, something that never should have happened, nobody planned to happen, but we're facing it today. And so the answer to you is if it's coming in three weeks, uh, pray. If, it's, if we find that out right now, and, and that's not bad. That's, That's reality. Bad. That's not bad policy. Though. Yeah. I, I'm a practicing Episcopalian, and I love what the Pope's doing right now. I, I'll tell you, that uh, things have happened. you you got to pray. There you go. So even NASA's with, answer, that was the chief of NASA telling people to pray. Even he's, he's a religious man. You should be too. He prays that the asteroids won't come wow. and kill us all. That's so, that is even with three weeks' notice. <clears throat> Mm -hmm. yes. They cannot stop a city-destroying-sized object with three weeks. No. There's a double twist. A small asteroid detected three weeks prior to the event. So it's a double optimistic hypothesis. So it means uh, it's a big one that is detected 
one day before, a few hours before, or not detected at all, like Chelyabinsk, that was not very well, big. Ch Chelyabinsk so, was just, I mean, for a year or more, they had detected this one, DA-14. Yes. It was scheduled to come in. It, we practically had a welcoming party for it. NASA was throwing special special day events, and people were coming, you know, bring the kids, you know, bring the whole school. Uh, all the kids can you know, have a look at this thing as it comes in, and we'll take photos of it. Kaboom. The Chelyabinsk event happens six hours before on yes. the other side of the planet. And the part of the narrative was that the telescopes were so focused on DA-14 on the southern hemisphere that nobody saw the Chelyabinsk bolide coming in. Well, on the same day, there was another one that passed 17,000 miles above the Earth that they had no idea came out of nowhere. It, was, it, it was just a coincidence. It came between the satellite TV broadcast yeah. satellites. Yeah. Between the Earth and, and, and our satellites, and that was another one on the very same day. It's just a coincidence, though. There was another one. There was a third that exploded yeah. over Cuba. That's right, yeah. And scared the hell out of people there. Shook homes. I mean, it exploded loud enough to actually reverberate on the ground. And, and now that there's a question about the behavior of the elite concerning the threat. Either they ignore the threat or they under-evaluate it, so they do nothing. Or they're aware of it. And obviously, they're not doing much. So if they know about it and they don't do much, although they're building underground facilities for themselves, so if this second hypothesis is valid, is that they're happy with the depopulation consequences of an asteroid impact or red explosions, they will be safe underground, they will reduce the population and have a slave population uh, more easily manageable. So I don't know. Eh? I'm asking the question. I don't know what's going on in the mind of the elites. It's probably not uh, monolithic. I think, I think most of them are all going to be as bewildered as most of the population if and when something does happen. Um, yeah. I think it's just the bunker mentality that makes them do that. You know, they've got this whole burr, burrowers bunker mentality. Like back in the days when there was this whole nuclear scare, everyone was building a bomb bunker. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, when you're rich, when you're filthy, stinking rich, I mean, what else are you going to do? Build a giant underground bunker and store stuff in it. That's true. That fits with this mentality. But at the same time, you see that um, over the last years, there's been an increase in the building of massive underground uh, facilities, including the Svalbard one and other ones. Um, so are they aware of threat? Is it the asteroid threat they're aware of? Is it more like an ice age thing? Yeah, there's there's multiple threats that they that they perceive, I'd say, and uh, very few of them actually know that it's all connected, you know, that <coughs> meteorites, comets, uh, that kind of activity <coughs> coincides with other activity on the planet that could cause serious disruptions on the planet, uh, regardless of whether or not any space rocks fall on our head. You know, the, from space, uh, essentially, without coming that close to the Earth, can cause massive uh, disruptions on the planet as well. And that's more than enough for any government to have to deal with, you know, like in terms of weather, weather changes, climate change. Um, and I don't know, I don't even know if overpopulation is an issue, but this CIA report to Bush said, you know, there'll be wars for water and wars for food. And, but yeah, so the main, two main things are climate change and and, and meteorites, and they're both intrinsically linked. Yeah. Um, September was very wet. There was some serious flooding all over the place. I think of the one in Colorado. Um, they called it a one in a thousand year. They have to call it that. 
it was so devastating and so sudden immediately after a record period of drought. At the same time, Mexico was hit with two hurricanes, record flooding on the west coast of Mexico. Uh, India, is, well, right now, India's been slammed with a super typhoon. Mm-hmm. Um, where else? Just, got? just last night, they... Japan um, and the east coast of China <clears throat> were hit. Yeah, and for for Western Europe, the, the, the UK Met Office yesterday just announced that they're expecting um, an extremely cold, a horror freeze this winter. That is going to be um, the worst winter for more than a hundred years. They finally got the, got the message from from observable data via looking out your window over the past four or five years <laughs> during the winter and realizing that winters have been getting steadily worse and worse. And they're saying that this winter it's going to last. It's going to start next month. They say from November uh, and it'll last right through. I mean, at that point they're speculating. But the thing about that is, is when you see based on previous years, when you see that kind of a a weather system, extremely cold uh, polar air being pulled down because of a stuck jet stream uh, over Western Europe, you get the same effects almost simultaneously, or similar effects simultaneously in on the east coast of the U.S. So this, you know, you can read one from the other really, because that's the way it's been over the past few winters. When there's been winter storms in Western Europe, there's been serious storms on the east coast of the U.S. So, uh, yeah, that's something else to look forward to. It's the same, you're describing the same weather system, high altitude yeah, weather stream. system. The jet stream, for the listeners, is circling. The one we're talking about is the Arctic jet stream that is mm-hmm. circling around the Earth. And that defines the limit between cold Arctic air and temperate latitude air. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the jet stream, when the solar activity is low, the jet stream is low as well, and the temperate latitude places like New York or Paris or London are exposed to this Arctic air directly. And uh, so you have have this factor, this jet stream, uh, that is really low because of low solar activity. And the low solar activity per se is also a driver of this uh, global cooling Mm -hmm. dynamics. Tomorrow is Columbus Day. I hate that guy. Uh, it's a celebration, and largely in, I mean, it's in South America, some South American countries, but in the U.S., it's actually celebrated in most states, and it celebrates the activities of a murdering psychopathic maniac uh, 500 some years ago who went to South America and butchered lots of uh, Indians, and it's a very fitting day, you know, uh, to be celebrated in the U.S. to be officially a federal holiday, you know, officially designated by the federal government, uh, where they honor the memory of a murdering psychopath, because you know they're his ideological uh, Can I, descendants. Yeah, I got a quote from from Columbus. Carry on from from the top pages there, and he's talking about when he came to the Bahamas. And he said, they brought us parrots and balls of cotton and spear and many other things, which they exchanged for the glass beads and hawk's bells. They willingly traded everything they owned. They were well built with good bodies and handsome features. They do not bear arms and do not know them, for I showed them a sword. They took it by the edge and cut themselves out of ignorance. They have no iron. Their spears are made of cane. They would make fine servants. With 50 men, we could subjugate them all and make them do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, that's the guy that we're celebrating. Yeah. And most uh, in a few South American countries it's celebrated, but in Venezuela, for example, um, in 2004, <clears throat> under Chavez, he changed it to uh, instead of uh, Columbus Day, he changed it to the Dia de la Resistencia Indígena, which is the Day of Indigenous Resistance, which was to commemorate the indigenous people's resistance to European settlement. So he just flipped it on its head. And actually, there was a, there was a statue of Columbus before that was set up before he he, he was elected. Uh, president of of Venezuela, the Statue of Columbus in uh, Caracas, and um, a group of people, pro-Chavez uh, people, went and tore it down, and they said that just like the Statue of Saddam in Baghdad, that of Columbus the Tyrant also fell this October 12, 2004 in Caracas. <laughs> that just warms the caucus of you black little heart. I would just point out that, like, you know, one of the practices that these people these people used, I mean, just to understand how bad they were, they had this technique called clipping. You heard about it? Mm-hmm. And clipping is basically when, when the slaves did something wrong or stole something or anything like that, what they would do is they would cut off their arms, basically clipping them. That was their, that was their way of punishing them. Mm. I think that was for when... At times when they didn't bring them enough gold. Oh yeah, when they didn't bring them enough gold or something like yeah. that. I mean, and these people were were so evil, and and Columbus is such an evil person that anybody who looks at him with any kind of respect or admiration, I mean, you really have to to, to question that person's moral compass. Yeah, and of course it's all well, it's sanctioned by the Vatican. It has a vested interest in it's uh, a history that's been completely whitewashed. Yeah, um, I remember when the movie 1492 came out, mm-hmm. and the sort of the anthemic song, I can't remember what the name of the piece was. For a while there it was it was going to become the European Union's anthem. Mm. In the end they chose Ode to Joy by Beethoven, but this song is still used frequently at events. I mean this is sort of, you know, to consolidate the European Union identity around Columbus discovering the new world. Yeah. And I, I grew up with that actually quite a bit. This this uh haloed view of Columbus and when you later learn the reality, it's just disgusting. It's so, he was such an awful, awful person. Really, you could not think of worse. Um, cutting people's hands off, cutting people's ears off, noses. Mm. And and the people were so innocent. generous and innocent and, and good to these new arrivals. Within 50 years, 5 million of them were dead. Mm. And things haven't changed much. Colonialism is now neo-colonialism. The weapons are slightly different, mm. but you still have a small elite that is taking the resource of uh, people who are usually good people and naive people. Mm. Uh, 500 years, I see the same story going on. And I spoke about the, I mentioned the Vatican there, obviously the Vatican um, was heavily invested in Columbus's voyages and bringing, uh, there's many churches and, um, and cathedrals in Spain and Italy that to this day, are decked out in gold leaf taken directly from uh, South America and brought back by people like Columbus. But actually, today, there's a new story. The Vatican beatifies over 500 martyrs of the faith killed during the Spanish Civil War. And this is the... uh, The Vatican has essentially raised 500 people's uh, stock in, in heaven, in heaven yeah. uh, they're not saints yet, but they're martyrs of the faith, which is a certain certain level. And these are people who who died in the Spanish Civil War, who were fighting obviously on the side of Franco, 
the dictator who was aligned with uh, with Hitler. So the Vatican just has <clears throat> they don't care. They I mean they're totally uh, shameless in in the attitude they take and making it obvious that their attitude is we're on the side of you know fascistic uh, murdering of uh, of innocent people who are fighting for their freedom and. Yeah, did we did we expect anything different from the Catholic Church? I mean, isn't that historically what they've always done? Pretty much, yeah. Well, when, I mean, they blessed. You know, there's, there's songs about it. You know, about them blessing the instead of the brown shirts, there's the blue shirts, the blue shirts that went to fight for Franco from different countries. The bishops blessing the blue blue shirts as they sailed beneath the swastika to Spain. Yeah. Well, That's just sixty years ago. You know, sixty seven years ago. You know, I want to think it's all different now. They've suddenly seen the light. They were different times. No, they're not. They're exactly the same people with exactly the same mentality. There's just a bit more PC about it today. I I would have to say that I'm not an atheist. I'm definitely a theist. But if I had to have a choice between I could only believe in in the Catholic version of of religion or had to be an atheist, I would actually choose atheism Mm -hmm. over that. Because, I mean, like, Catholicism is is really... It's kind of disgusting, actually. All Christianity is because it's based on a monstrous lie. Yeah. Yeah. Hail Caesar. And the, and the main job, the main job, you know, the this uh, psyche they instill in our minds this vision of the world, this submission, this slave mind, this uh, acceptance of authorities, illegitimate authorities, is bowing down our backs, uh, accepting, giving the other chick. They actually, when you, when you see the global picture and we, you look about this. Uh, Elite versus people struggle has been lasting since the beginning of history. The Catholic Church has been playing a major role because mm-hmm. ultimately it's all about psychology yep. and manage to conform our minds to uh, to slave mentality, basically. Well, I mean, the, the core of, of Christianity, I mean, really, really official Christianity, and we're talking about like what's in the kind of book, is basically anti-life. It's a complete withdrawal from yep. any kind of earthly responsibilities because you're going to get... You're going to go to heaven. Don't do anything. Don't participate in anything. Don't really learn anything. All you have to read is this book, and then when you die, you go to heaven. And that is the that's not that's not Christianity as it's practiced by a lot of people who are all about oh it's about forgiveness and oh it's about love and oh it's about you know community. But those people have obviously never actually read the Bible or read anything about it because the Bible really is just anti-life. It's all about completely withdrawing in upon yourself. And the whole turn the other cheek and all this stuff is used to reinforce this idea of just don't do anything in life and read this book. Don't bother learning anything else and you'll go to heaven. Mm. And that's a hundred degree turn compared to the initial Christianity as we have discovered. uh, Christianity or the Caesarism. Julius Caesar was all for a better life for everybody in this life, on this earth. Fighting for the rights, more equality, more justice, and transcending or destroying this elite versus people cleavage. Well, well, there was this fundamental idea about responsibility of the people on Earth for the uh, for the you know what's what's happening in in the cosmos, or in the sense you know if Zeus is mad at you, it's because you did something, not just because he's we all willy nilly throwing lightning bolts at people, and everything was about appeasing the universe by acting in certain specific ways. Obviously, towards the end, this got corrupted and they decided that they would, you know, cut up with a couple of lambs and everything was fine and it's okay to go back to the raping and murdering because all those things do get corrupted. But 
paganism or the, the kind of Roman paganism and even Greek paganism before that was more about personal responsibility for your environment and reacting to it and existing in it and that you contributed to um, the either the pleasure or the displeasure of the gods, quote-unquote, and this is just the language that they used at the time. And so Christianity was, exactly as you're saying, a 180-degree turn from that. It was that you suddenly have no fundamental effect on the universe, that God just does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. It's all his will. He works in mysterious ways. Mm. And all you have to do is bend over and take it for the next you know, 60 or 70 years, and then you'll get into heaven for all eternity, which mm. is just a ridiculous idea that you know, all you'd have to do is pay 60 years for an eternity. I mean, it's a bargain, you know? Yeah. It's all about suffering. You know, you're meant to get your reward for suffering, but wouldn't that make you more eligible for hell? <laughs> Logically. Yeah. Well, it makes you eligible for hell on earth. Yeah. Right. Because actually, I mean, if you show yourself good at being, uh, you know, being manipulated and lied to and taken for a ride and abused and stuff and suffering for it, maybe that, well, that's what the devil, look, the devil would, uh, the main tenant of the Catholic doctrine is basically trade-offs. You accept to live 60 years of slavery on this earth, and in exchange, you will have an eternity of, of pleasure and well, peacefulness no. in paradise. Well, but the problem is that too. slavery, you're sure to have it for 60 years, mm. but the paradise after, it's yeah. something to be seen. Yeah. You know, well, so it's a tricky uh, trade off. We're talking about uh, lies and propaganda. There's a story recently. The Pentagon admits to holding phony arrival ceremonies for soldiers' remains. Department of Defense unit charged with recovering service members' remains abroad has been holding phony arrival ceremonies for seven years with an honor guard carrying flag-draped coffins off of a cargo plane as though they held the remains returning that day from old battlefields. The Pentagon acknowledged Wednesday that no honored dead were in fact arriving or in those coffins, and that the planes used in the ceremonies often couldn't even fly and were towed into position. Uh, how many are we uh, talking about here? All of them over the past seven them. years. So, so, they, so what? They never brought home. All of those of ceremonies were for public consumption, to you know, to g up and to galvanize the jingoistic, patriotic fervor. At our boys being so, what happened killed to bodies? and taken home? Well, they were taken. They were they, were, they came home either left them there or or took them home by by other means. But those arrival ceremonies were not uh, real. Yeah, they they did not contain it. They were not uh, the bodies of any soldiers, and That's the planes disgusting. weren't even real. You know, That's I mean, disgusting. people for seven years have been le- believing when they saw hmm. footage of. A plane and a cough, flag draped coffin with soldiers standing guard and it being carried off that it actually was a real plane that had just flown them back and that there was a body in the coffin and none of it was real. They may as well have done it in a movie studio. In yeah, fact, well, they I pretty mean, much did do it. I mean, and studio. the point being is that, you know, <clears throat> you build up this whole idea of the military and the honor of dying for your country, right? You know, okay, we believe it, we don't believe it, that's not really the point. But in a certain sense, all of the men who died over there regardless of how we argue about different particular things, they deserve the pomp and circumstance of the coming off with the coffin draped. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the hero's mm-hmm. funeral. It's like if you're, if you're going to quote-unquote die for your country, then you deserve the pomp and circumstance and the 21-gun salute and, and, and the proper thing and the flag-draped coffin. I mean, that's, that's like a special kind of funeral that you get treated to, even yep. though we might, say, we might argue about how terrible it is or whatever. 
even and that's completely effing disgusting. Yeah. Even for the for the family members who are still for alive. For the family members who are still alive, that is so unbelievably morally reprehensible yeah. that they didn't actually give them the funeral procession no. that they deserved. No, it's fa- just, it's family members just got a knock on the door on the bad news and then said, you know, we'll send them back in a... And a 10, you know? I mean, that's just... Oh it's all God. the worst that... so angry. It's all the worst that it would be totally possible to organize decent funerals for dead soldiers. Well, they, well, they do it, it for propaganda measures. The people, the, the people that that was targeted at right. yeah. and that they went to the bother of doing that for was the general public who had no real yeah. personal investment in the war because they didn't have anybody overseas or a member of the military in their family. Those people were in danger of really not caring anymore. So you've got to broadcast to them and make them feel like they're a part of it and get right. them to give a little bit of you know, emotional it was energy to, to the whole deal, you know? But you could have done that with the real funerals. They, you know they should I mean? have. That's yeah. what's supposed to happen. So, so it means that all that matters is the propaganda. Yeah. The, the, this minimum level of decency, decency respect towards the, yeah. the family of the dead ones the thing is, it's totally overlooked. It, it doesn't even matter for the psychotic mind. From a, bureau, from a bureaucratic point of view, or from a from a propaganda point of view, they didn't, they wouldn't do it. Obviously, if you're going to do it for real, you would you would be it would be dictated by when the person died and how soon you could get them home and all that kind of stuff. So you wouldn't have complete control ah, over it. Timing. But these were used at specific times and broadcast right. at specific times. Yeah, because you don't see every single one of them. No, but they were used. These fake yeah. funerals were used at specific times, at specific junctures, when the elite decided that the the populace needed yeah. a little, a little bit of a, a a little bit of a, a jump push. start. Yeah. Let's get some more cannon fodder out yeah. there. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. funeral play and broadcast. Get, it's strange, you know. You get people to offer themselves to be cannon fodder by showing cannon fodder coming back home. Apparently, weird. apparently that's how it, it works. Weird. But that's how it works. Here's I don't know, here's I don't a dead know if that's more. The thing is, I want to go on. Is like you know, from the ancient city, you know, this whole idea of like you know your ancestors and the burial and stuff like the burials for for these Westerners. I don't know about any other cultures are very very important. I mean, it's important to me too. You know, I mean, just how you treat the dead is is you respect. You don't walk on graves. You don't be disrespectful. And and, and this is such ultimate disrespect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but that's what we're dealing with. Even if you are not aware today on a conscious level of the importance of this symbol, these rights have been permeating our society for such a long time Millennia. that it's still in us on a subconscious level. It's exactly. still a very important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Does it say there whether this was hired out to a private contact contra- contractor to hold the funerals or anything? Because I would not put it past Donald Rumsfeld to say... No. Yeah, it's a bit too expensive. Let's just have the cargo plane on site. We'll put in some cardboard boxes, drape a few made in Chinese flags over them. You know, we can save oh money God, here. Record it and save it for so later. Blasphemous. Yeah, this discussion is so horrifyingly blasphemous. Well, it's what's happening. Well, no? we get an idea of their mindset. There was another article this week in the UK, wasn't there? Where they said something like, "Let's." send less regular soldiers over there and you, if we use special forces and, and military contractors mm-hmm. that's better because the public doesn't seem to get so upset about them yeah exactly they want to reduce the number of and actual this, this is on paper this was yeah. a matter of policy yeah 
it's the same idea yeah. behind it, you know, you're stage managing the the results, the real results of <clears throat> sending our boys off yeah. to uh, invade countries and mm-hmm. kill other people and be killed in a smaller proportion than you kill, but you know, still be killed and it's not good and you know, people aren't gonna support it eventually because they're not gonna they're gonna get tired of it, they're gonna question the the rationale. I think Obama's asteroid idea was a great one. Let's get them all shipped out there on the next incoming asteroid and let and it go off on its way. Let's forget. Let's, let's fire them into the asteroid. Well, let's well, forget exactly. to convert feet to meters. No, but they've tested. I think, <laughs> I think they've tested. They fired that, at, I think, at Comet Temple. They fired that rod mm-hmm. uh, and a spacecraft into it to see the effect. And it actually, interestingly, it showed an electrical effect because there was an electrical discharge before it actually hit proving the electrical nature of comets theory, but they were testing the effects of a, of a, of a spaceship, a little spacecraft on a, some kind of tungsten rod or a copper rod hitting a spacecraft. But obviously the next logical uh, step in, in, this, in this testing process is to, to test the effect of a politician being fired at high speed into an asteroid and see what the effect is. And there's like many, many members of Congress are there. Um, I mean, there's more than enough. I think that we could get enough data points to be statistically relevant. Will yeah. there be an electric <laughs> discharge before the impact of the politician to the asteroid? Well, we need to- another Timmy. <laughs> talking about the electric nature of asteroids, in the previous show, we uh, we addressed quickly the electrophonics uh, phenomena, uh, and since then, uh, I got some more data, and maybe uh, it can be explained in better terms. So Let's hear it. So. Yeah, here it is. It's about sounds. You know, all those strange sounds that have been documented extensively. Now on YouTube, you have literally hundreds of videos reporting strange sounds. And a sound report? Yeah, sounds, uh, trumpets like uh, Jer- trumpet of Jericho and horns and hearing sound yeah. and various and kind of sounds. Wo- wookie sounds. Yeah. Often one of the characteristics of the sound is that um, the witness cannot identify the source of the sound in a and later we will, we will understand why. Um, in any case, these um, electrophonics or these sounds accompanying asteroid bodies has been documented for centuries. It started in uh, the oldest record, dates back to uh, Chinese writings in the uh, 7th century AD. So for a long time, we've known about uh, what we call now, what some people call now electrophonics. In the Western world, Halley, the discoverer of the comet of Halley, uh, first documented those phenomena in 1717 after the London fireball. Uh, here we're not talking about blast. We're not talking about uh, usual sound, i.e., vibration in the air. Why? Because Ali noticed that while people were reporting the sound, at the same time they were seeing the fireball that was 60 miles away. So 60 miles away, the sounds takes five minutes to travel and reach Earth's surface. So obviously, it was not the usual, the usual sound phenomenon because there was not this time delay. And uh, Ali made this research and inquiry and theories and finally dismissed the old case, saying it was psychological, it was hallucination, hysterization. Mm. And for centuries, this assumption prevailed until the 50s, 60s, and mostly the 80s with a, a researcher uh, called Colin Hay, H-E-A-Y, an Australian scientist, who managed to replicate the generation of those sounds, immediately transmitted at light speed 
from one object, asteroid-like object, to a receptor of a surface or listener. And the way it explains it, so now how it, that's how it goes. As we've said in previous shows, asteroid bodies are electric in nature, and therefore they're magnetic as well, electromagnetic, electromagnetism. Electricity creates magnetism. These magnetic perturbations coming from the asteroid body in the atmosphere set some form of resonance, not resonance of the air, resonance at the level of the magnetosphere, the magnetic field around the planet. And this resonance is the source of some extremely low frequencies, below 10 Hertz. And the specificity, or one of the specificities of those extremely low frequencies is that they travel at light speed. And that's the first explanation for this uh, obvious paradox, this apparent paradox that at the same time you see the fireball, you hear the Siri sound. Again, we're not talking about sound blast, but explosions here. We're talking about sound that are directly, immediately transmitted to the listeners that are miles and miles, dozens of miles away. But now the problem is that those extremely low frequencies are not audible. The lowest frequency human ear can perceive is 20 hertz. It's lower than that, extremely low frequencies. So what happens is a second phenomenon called transducing. The bones of the skull, but mostly external objects, metallic objects like glasses, for example, acts as transducer and transform those extremely low frequencies into audible frequencies. Hence, the numerous testimonies converging and mentioning that there was this sound that seemed to come from everywhere and mm. nowhere at the same time. Mm. Because it's you can have transducing, vibrating. it can be your skull, it can be your glasses, but it can be several metallic objects around you. I see. And hence, as well, those distortion effects that was reported by some uh, so witnesses. They're, they're not necessarily sound waves then? <clears throat> no. No, 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 it's not sound waves, because sound waves travel at sound speed, 1,000 kilometers an hour, roughly. Mm -hmm. Those extremely low frequencies are generated by a form of resonance of the magnetosphere, mm -hmm. of the magnetic field of the Earth, and travel at light speed, and are later translated, transduced well, into sound waves, but what kind of, yeah, frequencies. But what kind of waves then are actually, or what, what, what is resonating? There's some kind of a, uh, an emission. That is that is that is causing these uh, buildings or whatever to vibrate or to resonate. There's something being emitted. You just said it's what electromagnetic energy. They are both initially. Yeah, I know. I know that that, that it resonates in your head and creates sound waves in the local environment. But the original source is electromagnetic. Yes. So it's everywhere at once type of thing because it travels. Yeah, it's a, not in necessarily everywhere, but in a, it can in be a, a wide area. <clears throat> and then the resonance of building, you can have transducers, small transducers, but big transducers as well resonating. Mm -hmm. right. Maybe parts of the building act as a transducer and it's stimulated, excited by this like, electromagnetic. It sounds a bit like the kind of things, you know, CAA might have been doing with MK Ultra, you know, yeah, creating voices or sounds in people's heads, you know. It's yeah. kind of a proof that they can do that mm -hmm. with electromagnetics. They could just be shooting it at a person's apartment and... Their glasses are actually talking to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, interestingly, those uh, electrophonic sounds are also reported during aurora borealis, that are massive electromagnetic discharges at high latitudes. And it's also reported during earthquakes. Mm -hmm. And you have several scientists who have postulated 
that earthquake are nothing more than electric discharges phenomenon underground. Right. In a sense, earthquakes would be to underground regions what linings are to above ground atmospheric regions. So it's not the moving of tectonic plates that causes the earthquake necessarily. No, that's not the cause. It would not be a consequence. This moving, this shattering on the mechanical level would more be a consequence, an effect of magnetic or electromagnetic mm. discharges, charge balance, rebalancing. Isn't the Earth kind of like a gigantic dynamo in a certain sense or something? It's kind of like got this metallic core and it spins and this is what kind of helps us generate the magnetic field or something? Well, that's the, the main theory, yeah, that the molten steel in the mantle yeah. through friction against the crust is generating electromagnetic field, the North Pole and the South Pole, as we know. The this magnetic is probably field not of the Earth. Truth. Well, I, I was going to say, not. It's another analogy, it's like the planet is a tuning for, and all these bodies passing us by, impacting overhead, are like pinging it. Setting up a resonance, yeah. Boing. I mean, the, the one oh, that the hit Chelyabinsk, bins, yeah. the Chelyabinsk explosion was loud, but it sent a shockwave that went around the planet once wrapped fully and then came back and wrapped a second time, that was one overhead explosion. Yeah, and that's something that is um, not reported much is the mutagenic effects we mentioned in previous show. Mm -hmm. but, uh, just a reminder, those kind of waves have mutagenic effects. They can induce mutations in animals, in plants, and in human beings. That's one of the nefarious consequences of asteroid activity that is not mentioned by NASA that focus on Earth impacts, mechanical impacts. Before we wrap the show up, because we're, we're getting, it's getting a bit late here, um, the show wouldn't be complete unless we said something about just how evil Israel is. Um, there are, there's a report pending on the results of the tests on the samples taken from Yasser Arafat's body last year. And these were the exhumation was done at the request of his wife after Al Jazeera did an investigation and paid scientists in Switzerland and France and um, various places to take, to test his uh, his clothing, his possessions that he was wearing, his clothes that he was wearing and his possessions uh, before he before he died. And the results of that initial testing on his clothing uh, showed uh, non-supported, i.e., not natural levels of polonium. 210, uh, an isotope of polonium. Um, this is the same substance that was used. It's a radioactive metal, essentially, or an isotope of a radio yeah. radioactive metal um, that was used to kill Alexander Litvinenko. Um, and I wrote an article about it, about that, about Litvinenko at the time, and I made the case that Israel was to blame, and they were trying to frame Russia for, for having done it, but uh, the Israelis did it. And now we have the same, exact same isotope, mm. uh, poison, radioactive poison used uh, to kill Yasser Arafat. And... Um, the Ukrainian just, leader you mentioned. Ukrainian... No, 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 Litvinenko was a, is a, was a Russian. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, <clears throat> the point being that, you know, there's, there's only nine countries in the world that have nuclear weapons. Okay, you don't have, need to have nuclear weapons to produce polonium, but there's 30 countries that have nuclear reactors. And, uh, you know, from the U.S. to France to Canada, South Korea, Romania, Argentina, Iran, Switzerland, and among them is Israel. So ask yourself the question, among all these countries that could produce this, 
I'll let we be bothered to produce this because it you know takes some refining to actually produce it uh, in in the form that it can be used to poison someone and it's invisible. It's a tiny amount. Who has the most to gain by poisoning Yasser Arafat? Obviously, it's Israel. People are beating around the bush and nobody wants to talk about it. The French were involved in it. The French covered up because Yasser Arafat was taken to a French hospital and none of the French doctors that were involved wanted to talk about it. Uh, they won't go on record, etc. But it seems that they and they lost or they threw out the, the blood samples that they took from him. It was actually the French uh, police, some department of the French police that actually uh, did tests on his blood samples. And uh, when they asked for them re- uh, last year, they were told, "Sorry, we can't give them to you. We destroyed them for and, some strange reason." And I think he was hospitalized in uh, Paris, exactly, military, yeah. military hospital, in a military hospital, yeah, in Percy, controlled in Percy military hospital. So. You know, obviously, the Israelis had someone uh, infiltrated into Yasser Arafat's um, entourage who was able to administer this uh, radioactive poison. And uh, it just, just, I don't know, I just wanted to say that Israel is completely evil. I find it quite galling because Yasser Arafat was a great man. uh, And, you know, to the last day when he left uh, Gaza, um to go to fly, and he was already very ill, to fly to Paris. He was smiling and blowing kisses at people, and um, just the idea that the Israelis would be so evil to poison somebody with a radioactive substance and then, you know, deny it and try and, you know, pin the blame on other people, etc., is uh, despicable. And um, Yasser Arafat was a man of peace, mm-hmm. and Israel had to get rid of him yeah, that's because reason. they do not want peace. No, he cannot have it. He invented the two-state solution. He invented the Israeli-Palestinian police pro- uh, peace, peace process, and um, that was that sealed his fate. The idea that any Palestinian leader would try and promote the idea of Israel and Palestine being two separate states living peaceably side by side uh, was just abhorrent to the Israeli psychopaths. So he had to go, and they had to set up their own kind of uh, phony opposition, mostly in the form of Hamas. And you've seen what's happened since, since 2004. They've repeatedly bombed Gaza and they continue to expand the settlements and destroy Palestinian lands and Palestinian lives. And there's something quite, you know, the the American elite are, by and large, they they strike me as somewhat naive, you know, especially members of Congress. There's nothing, there's, compared to the Israeli elite, there's something, you know, insidiously evil about the Israeli elite. There's something, you know, extra super evil about them. They're just particularly calculating, you know, uh, compared to, you know, the Americans, you know. Um, They're all evil, but I just have a special place in hell for some of the Israeli elite and the Mossad for things they have done over the years. I reckon there's a comet out there with Shimon Perez's name on it, Bibi Netanyahu's name. Ariel Sharon. Well, Well, he's already going to meet his to meet his, his master. He's still artificially uh, kept alive. I mean, alive. He was, pl- for years, did they unplug him? Who? Sharon. 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 Yeah. The, yeah, he, he was on a life sports machine for a long time. Anyway, um, we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. Uh, on a somber note. I hope you're not too depressed. <laughs> uh, but, you know, hopefully things will change for the worse. Sometime soon, <laughs> we'll all be happier. Sure. At least 
something will be happening um, to shake this place up a little bit. So until next week, thanks for listening. Thanks to our callers. Thanks to our chatters for chatting away furiously as usual. Um, We'll be back next week with another show and we will announce it during the week. We hope you enjoyed it from us all. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hasta la pasta.